Welcome to the Healthy Rich Podcast, where we're talking with leaders and creators in finance, fintech, and beyond about how we can make money better for everyone. I'm your host, Dana Miranda, a personal finance educator and the founder of Healthy Rich, a platform for inclusive, budget-free financial education. Financial media, education, and products are overwhelmingly created by and for middle-class white men. That leaves a lot of us out of the conversation. How can we make money better for everyone if we're only listening to the needs and ideas of an unrepresentative few voices? We need to make space for more voices. So in our first Healthy Rich Conversations panel earlier this year, we brought together some of our favorite leaders in the finance industry and beyond to talk about what we can do to make money better for the folks we've been leaving out. We invited these four wonderful people to share their wisdom. Sarah K. Peck is the founder and CEO of Startup Parent and the host of the Startup Parent podcast, which features women in entrepreneurship, business, and parenting. Aaron Smith is the founder of Escaping the Odds Media, a movement that highlights the stories of people who bounce back from prison through entrepreneurship. Candace Sanders is a serial entrepreneur and founder of the Black Women's Equal Pay Network. And Kay Kenneth Davis, aka the trans capitalist, is a Black transgender financial literacy activist and coach. And Jen Smith of the Frugal Friends podcast joined us as a host of the panel. We spent an hour with the Healthy Rich community discussing the financial realities and needs of marginalized communities. Here's that conversation. Welcome to everyone. Thank you so much for being here today for this important discussion. We're excited to talk with these inspiring leaders about who gets left out of the conversation about money and learn how we can better include everyone in personal finance media and education. Again, if you are having any technical issues throughout the event, please use the chat to send a message to the panelists and we will address it as soon as we can. Toward the end of our discussion, we will share your questions with the panelists. Um, So please share those questions in the Q&A tool that's at the bottom of your screen. That way we can keep track of all of the questions. If you put them in the chat, we might see them, but we might miss them. Uh, So keep them in the Q&A place, little tool so that we definitely get to them. For anyone that's new to the community, Healthy Rich is a platform for conversations that illuminate the diversity of our relationships with work and money. They publish, produce, and host projects from budding creators who voices we don't hear enough of in personal finance media, like people of color, women, the LGBTQ community, and people with disabilities. I am your host, Jen Smith. I'm co-host of the Frugal Friends podcast and author of the No Spend Challenge Guide, and I am so excited to be here with you today. And let's get started and introduce our panelists. Uh, So our first is Dana Miranda. Dana is a certified educator in personal finance and founder of Healthy Rich. She started her content agency, Dana Miranda, to diversify voices in personal finance media. She's written about work and money for Forbes, the New York Times, Next Advisor, and a column for Inc. Magazine. Thank you so much for organizing this, Dana. Thank you, Jen. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Thanks thanks to everyone who is here. I'm really excited to have this discussion. Um, So why don't we go ahead and introduce our first panelist? 
Absolutely. So our first panelist is Sarah K. Peck. Sarah is the founder and CEO of Startup Parent and the host of the Startup Parent podcast, an award-winning podcast featuring women in entrepreneurship, business, and parenting. She runs the Wise Women's Council, an annual leadership program for women to come together honestly while navigating the challenges of working and parenting. Sarah earned her bachelor's in psychology and a master's degree in landscape architecture and regional planning from the University of Pennsylvania School of Design. In 2011, Sarah began consulting with Y Combinator-backed startups and launched her own consulting uh, agency in 2013. Today, she's the CEO and founder of Startup Parent, a company focused on the narratives we share and the ones we don't share about work, parenting, and motherhood. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Hey, Sarah. Uh, it's, it's so great to have you here. Um, I want to start with a, a question for you to talk a little bit, put some context on the work that you do. So um, a lot of what I see you doing kind of in public is about adding visibility to the labor of parenting, uh, which can be kind of jarring to see because we actually see so little of it really honestly presented the way that you do. But in this country, 40% of households have parents and 100% of us were once children who had to be raised by someone. And so I'm wondering what you think about why and how we can be so oblivious to the value and labor of parenting in that context. This is one of my favorite questions and I love how you presented it To We were all children right? We were all children. So anytime we talk about policies for parents and children, it's like it, it actually applies to all of us. Um, this is a long answer, but I'm going to try to make it short. Uh, we have a history of making the work of women, of children, of child rearing, and the household invisible. And America is especially weird, and I would say cruel when it comes to children, because we have this expectation they should be seen but not heard, or actually they shouldn't be seen. They should be in the private sphere, they shouldn't be in the public sphere. And I see this as a design problem, not a flaw of children, right? If children are annoying in a restaurant, it's because the restaurant design hasn't created a space for children to exist. We don't expect them to be here. It's not that children are universally annoying, although they are sometimes, right? I'm a parent. They are sometimes annoying, but we haven't designed properly for them. But the hidden story behind why children and the work of women and the work of parents is so invisible, specifically motherhood, but it's changing as we change who takes on what roles in parenting. Um, the, I wanna go back to the foundation of the GDP because this is about healthy rich, right? When the men that were designing a system for understanding how should we value gross domestic product? How should we understand what is valuable? They literally looked at household labor and they said, well, what about all this household labor? Should we count that? And then they said, no, because it's too much work and it's too hard to calculate. It's too hard, so we're going to ignore it. So it has been left out of our economic policymaking. It has been left out of our economic accounting. And it's estimated that if we actually paid for household work and household labor and caretaking, we would add over a trillion dollars to our national economy. I'm going to stop there. It has so many repercussions. It is so important. It is not small. But um, when we assume that women's work and women's labor should be free, and especially that of Black women and women of color, it is really 
exploitative. Capitalism and patriarchy can be very exploitative, particularly to people of lower classes and lower economic means. And it's really upsetting to hear that it's by design, like it's actually quite intentional. Um, yeah. That's that's sort of what raised the question for me is like, how are we all so ignorant to this? But it sounds like it's because uh, we're not ignorant at all that we we have chosen by design to ignore the value of this labor. About power, you know, the people in right. power would like you to believe that motherhood is the most important thing in the world and that you should enjoy it and love it, feel called to do it, and that you should feel um, pleasure at doing it for free. Because if it is has that much meaning imbued in it, then why should we pay for it? It's something that you're supposed to do. And these stories, these narratives protect the people who have power, who want to keep power. They don't want you to learn the history of where this came from. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that that is, um, it's, it's illuminating, like I said, to see that it's that by design, um, frustrating. So there's a lot to talk about there. Um, but let's, let's make sure that um, we get all the panelists on. So um, Jen, can you introduce our next panelist? Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Sarah. Uh, our next panelist is Kay Kenneth Davis, aka the trans capitalist. Kenneth is a proud Black transgender financial literacy activist. He is dedicated to challenging many of the financial rules, institutions, and taboos that are in place as they no longer work for our generation. His company is the fastest growing financial literacy resource for the queer transgender community. He spent the past three years teaching, coaching, and motivating hundreds of queer people around the world. His easy, straight-to-the-point, entertaining lessons and relatable life strategies provide concrete results and cultivate skills that help people survive the volatile economic climate in America. Welcome. Hey, hi, everybody. How's everybody doing? Hey, Kenneth. Thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah. I'll I'll dive right in with you as well. So um, you say that the financial rules that worked for your parents are a thing of the past, um, talking about the millennial generation. Uh, what are some of our most outdated ideas about money, in your opinion, and how are those impacting the LGBTQ community in particular? Oh, for sure. Um, definitely the first one, which is the biggest one, where you'll hear everywhere from a lot of financial gurus of like, definitely, oh, pay off your debt as fast as you can, and then you can start saving, and then you can like start living your life and do whatever you want to do on your on your path to wealth. And that's absolutely not true. I tell all my clients and everybody who listens that you really need to save first, and especially with this volatile um, economy, you need to save as much as you can, because especially if you are transgender or even queer or non-binary and you decide to transition, that is a very expensive process. And if you're paying off debt, and I like I usually say, like when you pay off debt, what do you get back? Nothing. But if you have your savings and you try and invest it, you get something else for that. Or even the big myth of going to school, get a college degree, rack up all that college debt, you'll get a good job. That is not promised anywhere no more. And that affects the LGBTQ community because even if they have the choice of the streets or even going to school, they accrue more debt than the average cisgender person. And that just sets them back to even have a life that they actually want to live. So there's just like so many rules that are so outdated, like we can definitely go into it like as much as we can, but it just needs to stop. 
and even getting advice from your parents. And even in that generation, it doesn't apply to us anymore. So they are leading you down a wrong path. And you don't even know because you feel like that's your first source of a resource for money. And it's absolutely not true because I lived that life and I live and I know other people who live that life, especially within our community. Absolutely. I think debt is a really great point. There's a ton of conversation in the personal finance space about which you should do first. And um, it's a really individual kind of decision, but there is a lot of shame around debt um, that is sort of put on people as there's, there's blame that comes with it, that if you have debt, there's something wrong with you. And so you need to get out of it as fast as you can. And when you, when you bring up just the simple point that some people are more likely to take on debt, like we know when women go to college as well, that they're more, they take on more in student loans than men do that, um, that just putting that kind of blame on people and that sort of rule that you need to do this before you can go after any other financial goals that might be important to you um, really is just a whole new way of kind of setting people back. So, yeah, I think that's that's very important. Um, And the point about um, learning from your parents as well, um, because the the rules of how kind of our economy and work and money works for everyone is changing so quickly. And I feel like the conversations that we're having as millennials in particular um, are really moving some things forward that the conversations I have with my parents um, about money really reveal how things have changed. So, yeah, yeah thank of course. You. And even just like the financial trauma real quick, like even if you receive the money talk or not, like your parents or your guardians are your first models of what you're doing with money. So I definitely agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes. And we could get into we should get into financial trauma um, quite a bit more, too. I think that's a much bigger conversation. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to circle back to that. So um, why don't we bring on our next panelist, Jen? Yes. Thank you so much for being here, Kenneth. Our next panelist is Aaron Smith. Aaron is the chief community officer at Stretch, a banking and jobs platform for communities impacted by incarceration. After years of incarceration, he found he founded Escaping the Odds Media, a movement that highlights the stories of people who bounced back from prison through entrepreneurship and business. He also founded U-Turn Transport, a trucking company that hires the formerly incarcerated. Uh, thank you for being here, Aaron, and welcome. Thank, thank you all both for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to be on the panel. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron. Um, I am really interested in the work you're doing. So I found you originally um, through Stretch because I have kind of an obsession with banking platforms um, <laughs> and was just so interested in what they're doing. Um, but to see the other work that you're doing too, I think is interesting because we're intertwining um, the job and career paths of formerly incarcerated people. And then also looking on the banking side at like what, um, at a kind of a more holistic look at the impact on people's finances. Um, so I think people might not know the stats, but but might not be surprised to learn that formerly incarcerated people are five times more likely to be unemployed than the general population. Um, but so again, kind of tying that in with looking for a job and also managing finances um, holistically, can you talk about 
the reality of managing your financial life after incarceration? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for myself, uh, once I was released, I, luckily, I was a little bit ahead of, I think, most people that were incarcerated due to have been to college, had some work experience. So when I was released from incarceration, I knew that I had to build my credit up. I knew that I had to get a a secure credit card to kind of start that process all over again. And I knew some of the things like to look for on my credit. And so once I came home, I started to dispute a lot of things that was on my credit. But for most people, they have no clue, no idea on how to start that. Right? I think I was part of like an anomaly that, that knew how to navigate those systems. Um, so it's definitely a challenge um, just because you just, you don't know. You don't know where to start. To. You don't know where to start. And so for, for some people, it's easy to get back into the lifestyle of, of, of a quick buck and, and not dealing with credit because they, they've been underground for so many years. They never had any work experience, right? They never had a bank account. And not everyone that's incarcerated, but I would say the majority, right? Um, they never had a work experience. They never had a bank account. Uh, they don't have a credit score. I'm going through that right now with my brother who's incarcerated. Like he does not exist to transunion experience, things of that nature. So I have the task of trying to build his credit and build his personal or, or financial profile while he's incarcerated. He still has like five years left. And unfortunately, the system doesn't allow for you to kind of um, have a, a financial life outside while you're still incarcerated, which I think is goes totally against the whole re-entry uh, model that they talk about. Um, so, yeah, so those are some of the challenges that men and women are facing, you know, once once they're released, if they don't have that support system, once they get out. And luckily, my brother has me. And so my goal is to try to go back inside of the, the prison and really um, educate the men and women. So once they come home, they can do some of the same things that I did, even if they don't have the support system. And, and kind of give them a, a heads up, if you will, to to be able to, to have a financial life, a successful financial life. Want more from Healthy Rich? On our website, you'll find stories that explore the ways money intersects with our culture and individual lives from writers whose voices you won't hear anywhere else in personal finance media. Soon, we'll launch live virtual classes to offer inclusive, budget-free financial education that makes money better for everyone. Be the first to know when we've got something new to offer by signing up for the Healthy Rich newsletter. Head over to healthyrich.co after the episode to join us in this new kind of conversation about money. And now back to the show. You said something that really stuck out to me, which was that without a credit score, they don't exist, which I think is really powerful um, that we put so much weight on that one metric yeah. of a person's uh, how a person behaves in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and it really has ramifications for, for a long time. And it's not just about how much money you have or how much you can earn um, because that um, time kind of out of the financial system, not being able to, to work on your finances yeah. um, can really set you back and just, and really mm -hmm. actually take you out of the system. Yeah. So yeah, that is very frustrating. Absolutely. To say the least. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm, I'm happy to hear for your brother's sake that he has you too. And that um, you, like you said, kind of started um, at an advantage in, yeah. in your situation. So, yeah. 
Thank you uh, so much for being here, Aaron. My father was incarcerated for five years. And so I know changing a life for somebody who is incarcerated doesn't just change their life. It changes their family's life. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. So, yes. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Our last panelist, last but not least, is Candace Saunders. Candace is a serial entrepreneur and founder of the Black Women's Equal Pay Network, an equity-focused organization helping women of color narrow the pay and professional opportunity gap. Her mission is not only to shed light on the pay disparities of women of color, but to provide the financial, educational, and professional resources necessary to help women of color not only reduce these significant disparities, but to increase their opportunities in the industries of their choice. Hi, Welcome, Candace. Candace. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so Jen mentioned it a little bit um, in your introduction, uh, but I want to uh, get a little bit more into some of the work you do. Um, and we know that Black women earn 58 cents to every dollar that a white man earns in the workplace, um, which is a very important number to remember and a metric that we need to continue um, to work towards parity with. Um, but you also have said that equity is more than a dollar amount. So we need to focus on more than just that number. Can you talk about what equity in work looks like for women of color? Yeah, I mean, often we, we hear equity and we instantly attach it to money and salary, which is valid. Um, but equity in the workplace is really about leveling the playing field so that everyone can maximize, you know, their earning potential, their development potential. Um, and this is this occurs when there's equal treatment, you know, across the floor. Um, so some forms of equity in the workplace could be something as simple as just being considered for promotional opportunities or um, being assigned special projects to to develop as an executive if you're looking to move into the leadership sphere. Um, and I think too often when women are looking for new jobs, they're really focused on the salary, but there are so many other opportunities. So myself, I didn't have a degree, um, a college degree when I started my career. And often that was a roadblock for me, but what I what is so great about where we're at now um, with the social climate is that DEI is like the center, right? A lot of companies are really working on their initiatives. So there have been so much more inclusive hiring processes to allow people who may not have their degree, it may be from, you know, a marginalized or lower income community to still be able to apply for these jobs. And maybe, um, you know, that's proposed with uh, technical walkthroughs of your work experience and so forth. Um, but for women of color looking for um, equity when applying for jobs, I think it's important that they do their research to see what, you know, a company's cultural values are. If you go to a company's website and they don't have any sort of statement that's geared toward DEI or, you know, the culture in the workplace, that's a really good sign that there probably isn't any in the office, right? Um, so I always look for companies that are, are pushing their initiatives because companies doing the work want people to know that they're doing the work. And that's a company you want to align yourself with because they're going to um, really help you de develop and grow as a candidate. Um, and maybe they can't pay you 100K right off, but the experience you gain, um, the certificates you may acquire, eventually you'll be in a position to earn that much money. So I think that's why I always say, you know, don't necessarily just focus on the dollar amount, the salary, what other opportunities will a company provide you? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, and so in addition to like explicit mentions of DEI measures at a company, do you have any other advice for women searching for jobs to look for those signs of equity or inequity in a company? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's it's tough because companies only share but so much, right? Especially in like a job application. But I really like companies that do small things like tuition reimbursement, you know, um, so you can further your education or maybe they have manager and training programs. So you can develop while you're still uh, maybe at an associate level, but there's an opportunity to move into the executive suite. Um there's a, there's a lot of things, and I am drawing a blank now because you put me on the spot, of course, uh, but my, my biggest thing is when I'm looking for a job, I want to work with a company that gets it, um, and beyond equitable opportunity, they're really focused on making everyone feel welcomed in the workplace, that inclusivity, um, that cultural representation. I never want to feel like you know the odd one out or I'm stuck in the corner and I'm separated from everyone else. So I really love companies that care about that and they put initiatives forward to really help people of color and people from these marginalized communities grow and feel accepted um, and, and feel safe you know, at their workplace. That, that's a good uh, first step, I think. Absolutely. Um, I, I, you make a good point too, that some of these, what seem like fringe benefits um, can be really meaningful to people. Um, and it's something to keep in mind for people who are in management or leading companies in some way that have, that are making those kinds of decisions. Um, things that just seem kind of like extras on top of, you know, sort of what you're offering. I'd love to hear a little bit more from you on that too, Sarah. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of things that benefit parents in the workplace too, that um, people who aren't parents um, or just people in leadership who don't have care responsibilities um, don't think of as necessary or they think of things as just sort of extra kind of shiny benefits that actually are really impactful to people's lives. Ooh, yeah, I love this question. I am like on the drumbeat of paid leave every single day, all day, every day. Um, and it's caretaking leave and paid leave. It's not just for families, but it's so you can take care of your grandma, your aunt, your husband, your spouse, like all the people that need care. Um, but one of the biggest effects of providing paid leave, which is supported by 72% of Americans across party lines. This is not a controversial issue. This is like Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, all the parties are like, yeah, this makes sense. And it economically makes sense because it pays out. And I'm a whole math geek, so I can talk about that elsewhere. But the biggest impact, I think, of paid leave, there's two that I want to call attention to. Number one, it helps reduce the number of people in poverty. It just does such a tremendous amount to change poverty levels for children, for mothers, for people who don't have access to extra you know, support or resources for people that have been systematically disadvantaged throughout time and discriminated against, but also women and mothers especially take such a career hit in terms of their earning opportunity that, and they outlive men that they are more likely, three times more likely to be in poverty in old age if they have children. And doing things like providing paid leave can help them not lose jobs, can help them keep jobs, can help them increase their salaries over time, which helps take children out of poverty. And the dots that I like to connect here is when you reduce childhood poverty, you actually reduce the cost of the healthcare system. There's so many things that are such a benefit from paid leave. 
Um, but the other point that I think is really important, the other reason why paid leave is so important is I specifically work with women entrepreneurs. So they're running their own business and they're trying to have children. And so they're the head of the household and they're trying to create a business that pays for their leave. So they are responsible for paying for childcare, paying for their own leave, paying for somebody to come in and take their work responsibilities on. And that kind of debt when you're an entrepreneur crushes you. It causes businesses to fail. If you look at the data, women are one of the fastest growing groups of entrepreneurs and black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. So if you want to increase innovation and entrepreneurship in America, paid leave, create paid leave. People support it. It helps reduce poverty and it increases entrepreneurship. Now, if we could just get those curmudgeons in office to do something, that would be great. Or put non-curmudgeons in office. <laughs> I'm open to all of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I support that. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks for bringing the, the math geek brain too. numbers don't stick in my head as well. It's so great to like get um, get those solid kind of statistics behind the things that you're saying. So I always appreciate that. Um, so I want to open up questions in general to anyone. So feel free to just kind of jump in. Um, and then also I want to remind everyone watching that you can add questions in the Q&A tool in Zoom and um, we'll get to those at the end as well for um, any questions you have that are coming up um, for any panelists or um, particular panelists, just let us know and we'll make sure that they hear that too before we um, end the call. So I want to talk about um, <laughs> Kind of, kind of a big question, so um, take take your time with it. But um, each of you are dedicated to helping the people that you serve to improve their individual careers and finances, um, which is very important for individual people to be able to take these steps forward. But these communities are also impacted by systemic biases and discrimination. So how do you personally kind of find that balance in your work or how did you land on the kind of work that you do to be um, teaching these skills that help an individual take on responsibility versus addressing these systemic changes? I might call it someone. <laughs> um, Sarah kind of kind of pointed it out. Well, I, was, too. I was pointing at yeah. Kenneth who has a hand oh, raised. Yeah. Oh, so go ahead, Kenneth. Oh, sorry. Just, just feel free to speak up. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, even talking about before, a lot of people really don't understand, like, especially in the transgender community, that it's four times the national average of being unemployed. So even being able to get a job is something that is very impossible and little to none. Even if they are overqualified for the job, that's why you rarely even see transgender executives in higher companies and nobody's giving them the chance. Or even if they were able to get a job, it turns into a toxic work environment that forces them out in order for them to even get income. So for that balance, this is why, especially with my company, I always push um, entrepreneurship because this is a way, one, they can actually stay safe, two, they're able to make their own income, three, they're able to even hire other people if they get to that point, because usually nine out of 10 is either that they get too much business and they don't have the knowledge to process to create a great operational system, or nobody actually supports it or even like 
goes into a grassroots campaign or even a nonprofit where they like to say that we can help when knowingly they need a for-profit business within that self. So yeah, that's usually the great answer that I just want a lot of people understand where I'm coming from and what people are experiencing within that community. So entrepreneurship is basically their best bet, but even to get that knowledge is another obstacle within themselves as well. I, I think that's so interesting. So you all actually support the people that you serve in entrepreneurship, um, which wasn't my specific intention um, for this group, but um, it is something that I see a lot in people who are sort of speaking to the people we generally leave out of the conversation about work and money. Do you feel like that is, it's kind of, it sounds like that's where you're sort of going, Kenneth, is that, do you think that this is a necessary step that it, that people need to just sort of opt out of the system rather than working within it to change what is not working. Well, to answer your question, it's just that like, especially for non-binary people, like when you're applying for that job and it's time to have an interview or especially a face-to-face -face interview. And if you have a male presenting person who's wearing a dress or a lipstick or something like that, it can make a lot of people uncomfortable. And usually they'll be passed over. So it's just like, what can you do? Like, I usually say like, when you're able to actually understand the rules of the game, then you can actually win. But there's just so much stuff that stack up against them. It's just like, how can you even get over that hump, especially within our community? Like, how can you be stealth? And stealth is a word that we use where a lot of people don't even know that you're transgender. So that's only a way like you can actually try to like sneak in, get yourself a stable job, work yourself up to a point and then be able to support your other friends or family within that case. That's another thing I think that's upsetting to hear is, um, and um, this has also been the story for kind of everyone in the LGBT community is not being able to be out at work or be yourself in general in order to succeed, um, which is really frustrating um, because we should be, we should all kind of be celebrated for who we are. Um, we see the same kinds of discrimination against um, Black people in the workplace and especially Black women um, when it comes to dress and hairstyle and things as far as what our definitions of professionalism are very um, white cis male centric and um, and leaves a lot of us out of the conversation um, and leaves a lot of us out of those opportunities. And so I think it does make us feel like we need to opt out um, because it's we just want to do the work we want to do. We don't want to constantly be fighting for equity um, at the same time. Um, so is that um, for the rest of you, um, for the people that you're working with um, in starting businesses and entrepreneurship, is that what you're seeing from people as well is just that, that frustration and not want having to wanting to um, have to be the person who's fighting for equity within their organization. I, I would say for um, the formerly incarcerated community, um, absolutely. Um, however, I do understand that entrepreneurship isn't for everyone, uh, whether it's the formerly incarcerated or just average Joe Blow. Um, but I made a post several months ago, and I mentioned how they don't do a background check for LLC. 
but they do a background check for a job, right? And so that's kind of, I, I kind of like coined that little phrase, and, it, and it's so true. It's so true. Um, I've had more success of being an entrepreneur, like running my trucking company, opposed to trying to apply for a big national company as being a driver, right? Most of them probably say no. We don't for whatever reason, right? Um, and I think that I think I know that a lot of people that I was incarcerated with, or even just people that's formerly incarcerated, they are leaning more towards the entrepreneurial side because it's already innately in them, right? Especially if you come from, you know, where I come from, I, just to be blatant, I, I sold drugs, right? Not proud of it, but it was what it was. But those same transferable skills can be, um, they can be used in the entrepreneurial world, right? Or in, or in the corporate environment. And so I am seeing more people leaning towards that direction, uh, just as a way for freedom. As Kenneth was talking, I thought, I'm like, wow, that's, there's a lot of similarities, you know, with the with the trans community and people that's formerly incarcerated, like that whole stigma attached. Although it may not be things that you can physically see, as Kenneth described, like someone walking in that's, you know, maybe having a lipstick or whatever, right? But it's more so the background, you know what I mean? Once you find out what's in my background, now, if I do get hired, there may be some whispering, oh, this guy was incarcerated for drugs or he was incarcerated for murder or whatever, right? So it can kind of disrupt the whole work environment, uh, similar to, as Kenneth described. And so um, it just makes it easier sometimes. It's like, you got an idea. Nowadays, it's so easy to start your own business, you know, uh, again, and not doing a background check in most situations, you know, when you go apply for EIN number or LLC or uh, incorporate. So I think that's, that's the path of least resistance. And that's what I push uh, for a lot of people that I come in contact with. But again, entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. Um, you may be an entrepreneur, right? You're, you're still a leader, but you're a leader within your, your work environment. So I'll push for that as well. That's great. I think that's a good reminder too, is um, that there could be ways for people to have that, have sort of the stability of a job that they're working, but be able to use have some kind of innovation and, and leadership within it as well. Uh, but yeah, I run into that same issue. I speak to groups of formerly incarcerated people in particular, but I just kind of um, evangelize freelancing and entrepreneurship in general because of the opportunities that it, it gives people for autonomy and freedom that uh, and flexibility that a lot of work does not. Um, but I always kind of run into that wall of like, what about people who are just, who don't want to run their own business? How do you find that, that flexibility and autonomy? Um, and I usually don't have an answer because I'm so um, biased towards self-employment. Um, but yeah, I think entrepreneurship. Um, and then, you know, a lot of us just have a lot of work to do to make workplaces include a lot more of that actual flexibility um, and inclusion for people as well. I just um, I wanted to jump in because everyone has had such great comments um, and shout out to Sarah for lighting up the chat. I love that. Um, so just really quickly, I see a lot of women who I come across who are leaning towards entrepreneurship, but I think it's also important to mention that a lot of inequities exist for business owners as well. 
Um, and, and while I encourage entrepreneurship, I want that fact to be addressed, right? Um, something as simple as getting loans for your business or getting those special like city contracts, um, those inequities exist. So entrepreneurship, while I, I encourage women to do it, I don't want them to think it's just an, an answer and things are gonna be easy from there on. Um, just owning a business period is a lot of work. But owning a business as a, a person of color coming from a lower income community is, is very hard. Um, and I just, I wanted to go back to something that you had asked about um, finding that sweet spot between, you know, addressing like racial uh, biases and discrimination versus like that individual responsibility. For me, um, all the work I, I do comes from what I've experienced being a black woman, right? Um, and a big part of that racial biases exist, discrimination exists. So I always encourage anyone to speak up for themselves. But on the other end, there is an individual responsibility. You'll hear a lot of black women say, and I live by is you better come correct, right? Um, so while a company can do all the work that they do on their end to really create these initiatives and create these opportunities, you also have to do the work on an individual level. Um, I never wanna be the token hire because you needed to fill a quota for a black woman. I want you to hire me because there was no other option, right? And that's why I encourage women of color to really do their research and uh, you know, upskill and do whatever they can to put themselves in that place to, to be deserving of these opportunities, not just because the company felt bad for you, um, so, so that's something I live by. And even if you're starting a business, right, you need to do your research, you know, um, and make sure that you're in the best place to really develop as an entrepreneur, as a professional and so forth. I wish we had like really a because I was clapping yes. the whole time. I was like, yeah, yes. <laughs> I saw you snapping and yeah, <laughs> like whatever sort of kind of fireworks we can get going. Um, yeah, I think that's a very, a really good reminder. And I think, that I fall into a space that um, I see a lot kind of among um, white lady entrepreneurs that I identify with, which is like this, a lot of altruism. So like we, we care about what's going on in the world and we see the change that needs to happen. Um, and we just sort of talk about the change that needs to happen. Um, and so with healthy rich, I'm, I'm trying to constantly find that balance. So I know that there's a lot, um, that it's important to have conversations like this and to, um, to make people more aware of, um, perspectives that are different from their own and to just like the changes that need to be made to, to always keep it top of mind, but that, um, they're all, everyone is also still just living their lives day to day. And so talk about how we need paid leave doesn't help someone um, who currently is dealing with a childcare crisis. Um, and, you know, talk about how we need pay equity doesn't help someone who currently can't get a job because of how they present at work. Um, and so I am, yeah, I, I think that that reminder is really helpful. Um, something that I think we need to regularly come back to and how we can sort of continue to help people on the ground and have these higher level conversations. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to um, wrap it up with uh, just one sort of general um one general question for everyone. So for the people that we generally leave out of the conversation about work and money, what is one piece of advice that you'd like to leave them with? 
Um, and I want to start with Sarah, because I know that you had to jump off um, early today so that you can head to the Wise Women's Council. So what is one piece of advice that you'd like to leave everyone? There's so many conversations I want to have here with you now. I could stay here for like two or three more hours to be like, let's talk about this. And like, why is corporate versus entrepreneurship binary thinking? Like, I just, my brain is like exploding right now, but I'm going to answer your question. Um, one piece of advice. The first is like, be really kind to yourself. You're not broken and there's nothing wrong with you. Like the systems are broken and it's not you. So many people take it personally, right? We're taught to take it personally. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and then the, I, I don't know the phrase that you said, Candace, but I loved it. Um, but my version of it is like, there's no one coming to save you. Like we believe in Cinderella stories and Slumdog Millionaires. And I think those stories are told so that people in power can escape responsibility. They say, see, look, one person did it. You should be able to do it. And that's where the individualism part comes in, where we do need to say, actually, I need to save my FU fund, a la Kenneth. You know, there's more expenses for people. Save that fund. So you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you, but also nobody's coming to save you. Feel so harsh saying that out loud, but that would be my advice. <laughs> it's very well put. Yeah. And Candace said, uh, it's you better come correct. That. Yes. So, yes. Very it's great. That Thank was you. great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, Candace, what is one um one piece of advice you'd like to leave everyone with? Uh sure. I'm pretty sure everyone's heard this a ton of times, but mine is know your worth and then add tax. I love that. Live by that. Um, and there's many layers to it, right? So there's knowing your worth just in life. Um, and, and that really starts with positive self-reflection. Uh, but what I really try to teach to members of my network is you have to know your worth professionally. And you do that by like benchmarking where you are and really understanding what, understanding what value you bring to a company, why you're an asset and lead with confidence, knowing who you are professionally in any workplace, in any work environment, um, as an entrepreneur and so forth. So know your worth and then add text. Period. I just had to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Love that. Erin, um, what's one piece of advice you'd like to leave everyone with? Uh, this, this, I would say this is under uh, personal development. Something that really worked for me is to uh, increase your social capital. Uh, I'm a firm believer that your network is your net worth. And um, that's something that I've, I literally wrote that down before I was released. Like, I have no professional network. This is what I need to do. Um, yeah, so with that, but also in addition to that, which is still connected, is once you do get in those rooms, like know what you know. Kind of like what Candace talked about earlier. Like it's not what you know, it's who you know, but once you get in those rooms, let's make sure that you stay in those rooms and own the room while you're there. So yeah, more more fireworks from Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, all right, Kenneth, uh, we'll give you the last word. What uh, is one piece of advice you'd like to leave everyone with? Yeah, just two quick things. Like one, especially if you're trans or coming from that world, just remember your identity is your biggest asset and let people know who you are and continue to knock down doors because you're opening doors for a lot of people. And secondly, for allies, if you claim you're an ally, speak up. Ask for more diversity and inclusion workshops. Ask that there's no transgender or LGBTQ people around within their own working environment. Speak up and fight for us. We need help. Great. 
That's fantastic. I think um, that's that's a great note to to leave it on. Thank you all so much. Um, really appreciate you uh, joining us today. And uh, I agree with Sarah. I'd love to continue this conversation. There's so, so many more ways um, that we can take this. So I'll be in touch. We'll see um, what else we can do together. Um, but uh, I really appreciate you all um, sharing and, and taking the time today. Thank, thank you for having me as well. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. It's great meeting you all. I'll see you on the socials. <laughs> yes, reach out, say hi. Thanks for having me. This was, thanks for inviting me. It was such a treat, such a pleasure. Well, yes, thank you all so much. This was a, a great conversation that I uh, humbled and honored and so grateful to be part of. Um, and uh, just thank you everybody else in attendance today as well. Do you know someone who could use a broader perspective on work and money? Share this episode to invite them into the conversation. Head to healthyrich.co for more information from today's episode. And while you're there, sign up for the Healthy Rich newsletter to be the first to know when we drop something new. And remember our motto, work should be fun and money should be easy. Thank you for being part of our quest to make money better for everyone.